on this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hiker and Wayman, presented by Riverwind Casino. A little Q&A. We answer some of y'all's questions. And then Jared Followill from Kings of Leon joins us to talk some OU football. And we ask him some dumb music questions because we really don't know anything about music. And that's it. Please download and subscribe to the podcast. Rate it five stars and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right. Our man, Michael Hostey, will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Monday, April 4th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by Riverwind Casino. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience, and your health and safety are Riverwind's number one priorities. There are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including Blackjack, Blackjack Match, Roulette, and Teddy's favorite, Craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And Riverwind will be featuring live music and local food trucks every month starting in May for the Beats and Bites Festival. Performers include the Randy Rogers Band and Scotty McCreary. If you need help finding your way, just visit Riverwind.com, Riverwind Casino, Simply the best. Now we're recording this several days in advance, but still, please leave us a five-star review and a nice comment while you're at it. Also, if you are interested in sponsoring the podcast, please email the Oklahoma breakdown at gmail.com. Simple episode, Ted. Answering people's questions. And then we've got an interview with our buddy, Jared Followill from Kings of Leon. Simple, different, different show. For sure, but we like to keep the people on their toes. And that's what we're doing here. Let's Something do fresh. it. Something fresh. I love it. These are always really fun, too. Yeah. All right. Let's dive right into it. And this first question comes from Shandon underscore 97, who gave us an Apple podcast five-star review. Thank you, Shandon. Question is, Teddy, what would be your all-time OU linebacker lineup? Hmm. You can include yourself if you like, LOL. Gabe, what would be your all-time OU offensive line lineup? You can include yourself as well if you would like, LOL. No disrespect to some of the legends of OU football. So, all right, here we go. All-time linebacker lineup, who do you got? Um, That's an interesting one. Number one, George Cumbie absolutely has to be on there. Um, Boz has to be on there and uh, I'm thinking I would probably either go Daryl Hunt or 
Torrance Marshall. Probably Hunt. His his stats are unbelievable, and he's a guy that can play the edge now, too, if you need him to. Probably Cumbie, Balls, and Hunt. That's that's solid. Uh, you would be on my list if that huh. – you would be on the list. I think really uh, kind of an under-the-radar guy, Curtis Lofton was a damn good football beast. player. Total beast. Total beast. So I, almost, I don't know. I'd have to you, think about it more linebacker-wise because in, you know, I'd have to dive into the tape, take a closer look, but there's definitely some good options. You almost have to go pre-2000 and post 2000 because that's that's almost like the breakover of where the game really started to change you know like pre-2000 you have a a a lot of backers that are built to stop the run you know you're stopping uh uh, option stuff you're stopping i formation stuff so it's like heavy big backers in in the box that can you know thud and 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 do those type of things and then you know, 2000, you start to get into more, way more involved in passing game and man-to-man coverage and in all of those type of things. So you almost have to go, like, I don't want to say modern. Not it's just it's just different styles. And if you do that, Curtis Lofton, there's no doubt he's he's 100 on that list. And I I have zero objection if you put him on the all-time list. Yeah, I just. I don't want to disrespect the old timers because, you know, I'm thinking about who my all all time OU offensive line would be like, I I've got a ton of respect, even though I didn't see them play. Right. I don't really know anything about them other than the awards they won, but you know, guys like Greg Roberts, JD Roberts and, and Jim Weatherall, like I know their names, but it's like, they're not better players than Trent Williams. Like they're just not like, you can't convince me. Just because over time, you know, humans have gotten bigger, faster, stronger. You just look at the offensive linemen now compared to the offensive linemen in the 60s and 70s, and it's just like, it's completely different. So my all-time O-line is, it's going to be more modern because I just think the people are, they're more, they're, they're just bigger humans and they're more athletic. I'm going Trent Williams and Lane Johnson at tackle. And I know that Lane Johnson, he didn't have like, you know, some stellar college career, but I, I think you have to factor in what, what these guys did as pros as well. And Lane has had, you know, he's the fourth pick of the draft and he has had a spectacular pro career. And I think is going to be a borderline hall of fame type guy. Trent Williams is going to be a first ballot hall of famer. I mean, he's, he's been that good as a pro and the interior, I don't think there's really much of an argument for anyone else other than Jamal Brown. Yeah. Won the Outland That's Trophy. The one. First all rounder. Pro. But let, follow me on this. He is on my all-time OU offensive line. I'm just playing him at guard. I'm playing him at right guard. Nothing and, wrong with that. And I know he was a first rounder as a right tackle, but I have to get him on the field somehow. And, you know, like any good O-line coach does, Ted, I'm getting my best five on the field and I like it I looked at Lane and I looked at Jamal and I was like who do I think could bump inside a little easier I said Jamal come on down come play the inside so I'll I'll have 
Jamal Brown at right guard, Lane Johnson at right tackle, Trent Williams at left tackle. I'm going to go ahead and take Davin Joseph, another first-rounder, big, massive, powerful man. And I'm going to go ahead and stick him in there as my left guard. And then the man running the show, the best center in the history of OU football, is Creed Humphrey. And I will debate anyone about that. I'll just debate anyone. He's a freak. I mean, the kid's a freak in nature when it comes to strength and athleticism. And he is going to have an incredible NFL career, you know, you know, health pending, of course. But I think his, his rookie year was just an appetizer of what he's going to be as a player. So give me those five. Trent Williams, Creed Humphrey, Jamal Brown, Lane Johnson, Davin Joseph. That's a pretty salty O-line. That's I'm just sitting here like smiling. That is beyond salty. That's that's four first line. rounders and a guy that should have been a first rounder in Creed. Second rounder, but he should have been. He, first round talent. Man, that's crazy. Yep, that's pretty impressive. Any pretty debates? Impressive. No, I'll 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 roll with that. Yeah, there's other guys that are, you know, right there, but man, that's good. I like that one. So Hell, I could run behind that line. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay. This next question comes from Dan Graham, Hawaii. Gave us a five-star review on Apple podcast. And he said, with regards to the O-line, how much of the blocking schemes are developed by the offensive line coach versus the offensive coordinator versus the running backs coach? Walk me through how they typically collaborate and then how their plan gets taught to the players. When you look at those three coaches on the current OU staff, Whose tendencies, themes, preferences do you think will most heavily repre- be represented in the running schemes? Or just give your thoughts on how that dynamic will work itself out. That's a great question. And there, there's so much that goes into developing an offensive system. But I think it's important, and you can kind of speak to this on the defensive side, Ted. What the offense coordinator said says goes. Right, The offensive coordinator is the boss of all the other offensive coaches. That's how it works. That's why they're the offensive coordinator. So their philosophies and beliefs and the ways that they want things done are, are going to be what ends up winning out in these discussions. But great offensive coordinators usually have very open lines of communication with their running backs coach and their offensive line coach. Now, Bill Beatonbow has, I mean, you, you talk about a guy that has all kinds of respect, like Jeff Levy and Bill Beatonbower get in a room and they're going to talk through everything. And Levy's going to say, and remember, Levy was an offensive lineman, so he understands the position. They're going to talk through every single scheme in the run game and come to kind of a general consensus of how they want to do it. The last thing you can have is the offensive coordinator telling you one thing and to do it a certain way and the offensive line coach not going along with that. You have to have continuity in how you approach not only the concepts, but the techniques you want used in those concepts. So I think that I think that ultimately the offense coordinator collaborates with all the assistant coaches on everything and they get on the same page, but you will see offensive line coaches like 
they'll be considered the run game coordinator or something like that. Like they'll come up with the run plan for the game plan for that week. In those situations, it is, it's all still run through the offensive coordinator. Like the offensive coordinator is the one that's going to look at it and say, okay, like it, don't like it, like it, don't like it. But from a technical standpoint, you know, from aiming points, the way they want to do certain things on the front side of zone as opposed to the back side, like that is all a collaboration between everyone. And then the running backs coach has to know all of that and relay it to his players and tell them where their reads are. Like running backs aren't sitting back there. This is something people may not understand. Running backs aren't sitting back there going, okay, those two guys are working to the mic. Those two guys are working to the wheel. No, no, no. They know what they're supposed to read. And they read that, whether it's the, the butt of the guard, whether it's the inside cheek of the tackle, whether it's the crack of the center and, and some of these inside zone schemes that are, you know, kind of designed to cut back behind all the front side stuff. Like they, on the sheet, there's a little star for the running back. Hey, like this is your read. You're reading the three technique. There's all kinds of different philosophies, but ultimately it's about good communication. And that's, that's what all football is about, really. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's probably, the only way I can really uh, get my point across is I picture it as way more of, of like one brain. So for the most part, you don't have, you don't have an offensive staff that is just totally separate. One guy has an idea about the running game. Another has an idea about the running game. And they come in and they like hammer it out until one of those ideas wins. It's they are in offensive staff meeting rooms all together constantly. They watch the practices together. They watch the game film together. It's all done as one. So it's more of a it's more of a, a total collaborative effort to come up with something than then maybe just one person has the idea and we roll with their idea, right? Someone may want to run uh, outside zone and have some ideas on, on how to block it. And the offensive coordinator may say that, you know, well, that, that doesn't really tie in very well to our pass game. Like, can we build some pass game off of it? It's just like, I think it's it's more organic than just, coming in with ideas and throwing them up against the wall and say, let's do this one. I think yeah. it all just kind of ends up working its way out and everyone has their, their opinion on the matter. And, you know, there, there are times where like take, take Oklahoma early two thousands, for example, had a really good offense. Won the had a Heisman trophy winner in 2003, right? Well, you have a guy come on campus by the name of Adrian Peterson. So you take a lot of what you did in the running game and just eliminate it and say, what do we build for this particular guy to highlight his strengths? Forget what everyone else does well. How do we really highlight what he does well? And then you may start kind of from the ground up on some of those things because you have a special individual player. Other times, you know, you may not have someone that is – that is that special and you just kind of go with what you generally have, have kind of 
built your program for. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good point. All right, we're answering more questions. But first, the only place to stop when you're road tripping is Love's Travel Stops. Love's has over 560 locations, 41 states, offering 24-hour access to clean and safe places. Whatever your road trip needs are, Love's has it. Fuel, fresh food, all the snacks and drinks, including my favorite, yes, Java Amore. That coffee is fantastic. Love's also has you covered if you forget your phone charger or headphones. They've expanded their mobile-to-go zone so you can grab any of that stuff there. Make sure you download the Love's Connect app for exclusive offers from today's most popular brands. The Love's Connect app also includes a route planner and store locator. When you see that red neon heart on the highway, stop in and say hi at Love's Travel Stops. For a full list of what Love's has to offer, visit loves.com. Opolis Clothing is the exclusive home for all of your Oklahoma Breakdown merchandise. If you want to live your life in buttery soft comfort, go to opolisclothing.com. That's O-P-O-L-I-S clothing.com. Use our promo code TED, T-E-D, for 10% off your entire order. You still get the discount on all of the OU and Oklahoma City Thunder gear as well. That's opolisclothing.com. Use our promo code TED, T-E-D, for 10% off. Buttery soft and 10% off. All right. This question comes from Bees Nuts on Apple. Gave us a five-star review. Thank you. Bees Nuts says, who was your wow, I'm really lining up slash playing against this guy moment? I'll let you go first. Um, my... My, I think it was my first preseason game that I ever played. It was, definitely was, was uh, against the Steelers, and Jerome Bettis was uh, running back. That was my first ever tackle in the NFL was against Jerome Bettis. Uh, had it then, like Randy Moss was kind of the same thing whenever he was, uh, he was in Minnesota, and uh, same, kind of the same thing with Brett Favre. It was really cool going up against Brett Favre. Yeah, so when I was in Detroit, we went and we had a joint practice. So my my rookie year, right, I'm with the Titans. We really didn't have, like, we, we did a joint practice against Atlanta. You know, like, seeing Matt Ryan in person was, it was one of those things where you're like, wow, seeing Julio Jones in person, you're just like, oh, my God, that guy is, he couldn't look better. But, <laughs> like, going against a guy, it actually didn't happen to my till my second year because I blew my knee out in in the third preseason game my rookie year, and we had a joint practice against the Steelers, and we went to do field goal, and I look up, and James Harrison is standing right across from me, <laughs> and it was one of those things where I was like, "Oh sweet Jesus, please, <laughs> please don't come, please don't come." And not only did he not come, like meaning rush the field goal, he, and I think I've told this story out here before, but it's a good one. So I'm telling it again. We kick like two field goals and Matt Prater's our kicker, like really well-respected kickers, good kicker in the league still is. And James Harrison just looks back at him. He's like, Hey Prater, you good. And Prater's like, uh, yeah, I'm good. And he's like, all right, we good then. And he walks the entire Steelers defense off the field. <laughs> and, and our special teams coach is like, what we're doing field. And he's like, we we're not doing field goal anymore. We're done. He just, he just canceled it. And 
I went up to him after the practice and I was like, man, thank you so much for not rushing. And he was like, he was like, you seem like a nice guy. I was like, yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> it was such That's a, awesome. it was one of those moments where I wasn't paying attention. You know, I'm like the tight end on field goal, getting down on my stance, look up. And I was like, holy shit, this could, this could hurt. And oh my God, that's the guy that killed Colt McCoy on national television. Wow. He's lined up against me. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next question. This comes from Davis Dill on Apple. He said, can we please get a breakdown from Teddy of his craps betting strategy? Very simple. Uh, minimum on the pass line, maximum behind the line. That's about all you need to do. If the table starts to get hot, maybe buy the 10 and the four. Uh, every now and then when I'm feeling froggy, I'll throw out a yo bet. That's it. Well, there you go, Davis. Still, yeah, I, I'm interested to see if our man Davis gives it a try. Yep. Okay. How about, how about this one? We've got, we've got this from Joe Coble. And I think this is a good one for you. He said of all the defense you played on Ted, who would you trust the most to make a tackle in the open field? to save the game and would the answer change depending on who had the ball so let's go with two let's say like big like physical back in space let's say like big physical guy in space who do you want and then like short little scat like great elusiveness guy who do you want there's two guys that i think of and i think this is it's so interesting two guys that i think of and I, if the ball carrier really doesn't matter, Derek Strait and um, Andre Wolfolk. And those are two corners. That is a stunning answer. Yeah. Yep. Derek Strait I, was a good tackling corner. Though. Oh, he's unbelievable. Andre Wolfolk was unbelievable because we used – we used our corners in our run fits a ton. We played so much cover two. We used those guys a ton. And we we actually like used them in the run fit. They were a, like a part of the actual fit. We counted them in, in how we fit runs. And they were both outstanding. I and I know they have missed tackles, but I don't I don't hardly ever remember either one of those guys missing a tackle. Good answer. Fans now, are going to like that. That's a good answer. Now, if I want to uh, send an opponent out of the game with a tackle, I'm taking Roy Williams. <laughs> I the first the first guy that came to mind, like for me, uh, Tony Jefferson. I, I feel like I can remember so many. Like he's in the open field, and every every safety misses tackles, but like so many, like it's one on one. He's in the open field by himself, and he's like the guys on the ground. And you're just like, damn, like he. He he just had a gift for it, man. Yep. It's not easy to do. It's very, very difficult whenever you've got that much space. Uh, you've got a great athlete on the other side, and there's always the threat of being, you know, run over as well, which that's part of it. An open field tackle, part of it is accepting getting run over, and a lot of times getting run over is the best way to make that play. Yep. All right, here's the last one we're going to answer. This comes from Bo Shelby. If you had to put, if you had to had to pull a Ted Lasso and coach a sport you know nothing about, what would it be? 
How would you use your football knowledge to run practices and make in-game decisions? Wow. Hmm. That's a, that's a great question. Uh, I, it would probably for me have to be something like, it's pretty lame, like baseball, maybe. Um, it's, I think it's kind of hard to, to carry over a lot of what you do in football to baseball, other than like a lot of very fast drill work with tons of reps for every guy, like you're moving quick from one station to the next. Like there's the the football. It's, it's really amazing how much you can get done in a short amount of time and really hit a whole bunch of stuff and, and get better as a player, but almost not do any actual live like football, you know? And I feel like baseball is kind of the same thing that you can break it down into into drills really well. I think anything else like basketball would would be so difficult for me because I, I mean there's a lot of strategy involved in basketball and I just wouldn't have anywhere to start. I I think I'd go soccer and I know nothing about soccer but I could see myself like diving into the like strategic component of soccer. And then kind of what you said about the drill work, like you get on the practice field, like you do some team stuff, but really you're working on the guys individually and their skill sets and like how their skill set applies to their position. And clearly you'd have to learn about the game, but being in great condition, right? Being in better shape than the other team. Yeah. That's very similar to what you want in football, being more physical than the other team very similar to what you want in football. And I, I don't know. It's like, it seems like a soccer manager doesn't do that much. So I think I could kind of just blend in. I would dress cool. I know that, but suit tie every day I, or something. I think my strength in that scenario would be like, Hey, we're going to train on the practice pitch. And then when it's game day, like I'm gonna let you guys go do your thing. I think I could be a very good, like hands-on manager. That's what they're called, right? Soccer managers. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Hands-on manager on the practice field, like extremely detailed, like disciplined, but then game day, let them do their thing, you know, kind of hands off. I love you. You've got the lingo down. I love that. Everyone on the pitch in 15 minutes. I love that. That's good. Or we're running laps, lads. <laughs> All right. Let's get to our interview with Jared Followill from Kings of Leon. But first, attention business owners, you need Insurica in your life. Yeah, you do. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to to design a cost-effective comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best-in-class, connect with Insurica at Insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A.com. Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School has a long tradition of educational excellence. 
With a 12 to 1 student to teacher ratio, no student is overlooked. Bishop McGinnis's college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. There are numerous clubs and organizations for students to join. And as a proud member of the OSSAA, there are 14 sports offered. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Financial aid is available. And if you are a whiskey or bourbon drinker, stop what you're doing, head to your favorite liquor store and buy some Balcones products. You got to snag some of Balcones Lineage Single Malt Whiskey. It was just voted one of the top 20 whiskeys in the world by Whiskey Advocate, and you'll be shocked by how affordable it is. Also, you got to snag some of Balcones Baby Blue Corn Whiskey. It's made from blue corn. That's the fancy corn. And that is why it has won more than 25 awards. Last but certainly not least, you got to buy some of Balcones Pot Still Bourbon. It's big flavors make it the perfect bourbon to drink year-round. In 2012, Balcones Single Malt won the best-in-glass competition, beating brands like Johnny Walker and McAllen became the first American distillery to win the competition. This stuff is the real deal, people. If you love great whiskey and bourbon at a great price, then Balcones products are the only way to go. The whiskey may be made in Texas, but the owners, yes, they are from Oklahoma. To find a liquor store that has it, visit BalconesDistilling.com. All right, here's Jared Folliwell. It is our pleasure to be joined by a Grammy nominee from Kings of Leon. He also just happened to be the best man in my wedding. He is my best man guy. He is Jared <laughs> Follow up. What's going on, man? What's up, dudes? Happy to be back. It's, uh, it, it's good to have you again. A lot's happened since we had you on the last time. Uh, you're a, a whole dad lot. now. And oh, wow. Yeah, it's been a while. I didn't realize it had been that long. That's crazy. The whole world changed. Yeah, we'll, we'll, well get to that. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, your, your industry, uh, I assume, was you know, one of the most effective about, you know, by what's gone on the last couple of years. But I do, I do want to start with this and we're going to get to the OU football stuff and get to, to our dumb music questions that we have for you. What, what do we need to do? Because you're on board with formula one now, like we're formula one guys. How, how do we get Teddy on board with us, Jay? Um, as somebody who's been a massive fan for coming up on 11 days now, I think that the thing you just I, it, there's just something that you have to do. You just kind of have to like dive in and just start watching that Netflix drive to survive. That's what I did. I watched one episode and didn't know if I was going to get into it. Um, and then I binged four seasons in like six days. I do have a lot of free time, though. Obviously, <laughs> but no, you just get sucked in. There's drama. It's obviously like super action packed. And then there's a ton of drama that they probably, you know, uh, they probably help that along a little bit. But um, it's awesome. I think you would enjoy it if you have the time for it. Well, it sounds to me like um, we need to go ahead and plan Las Vegas 2023 Formula One coming to town. Well, that's going to be cool. And that may be worth going to. Yeah, I didn't realize they were going to Vegas. I know that. Guess they just announced it like the last couple of days. Right, Gabe? Yeah, I think it was yesterday is when yesterday. they announced it. That's awesome. I, I would enjoy that, I'm sure. Now I'm like looking at our schedule, our touring schedule, and seeing where we're going to be and 
We oh, had, the schedule doesn't matter anymore. No. You, totally. If you have something come up, you just you just skip down and go. Yeah, you, we can cancel shows for sporting events now, apparently. <laughs> so Should we cool. just talk about that now? Because you, you love OU football. Like, uh, I, I would say it is – it is one of the more important things in your life. Mm -hmm. But Eric Church completely canceling a concert, not even rescheduling, but straight up canceling a concert to go to the Final Four to watch North Carolina. A as a musician, what was what was kind of your reaction to that? Because to me, like as, as a sports guy whose job revolves around sports, I'm kind of like, that's awesome. Eric Church is just like us. But I yeah. imagine... Like there's a musician's point of view where you're like, what the hell, man? Well, I I kind of like have connections to him and like I've like one of our buddies is his manager and things like that. Um, and so I'll start. I'll say that my initial thought was that's weak. I did not like it. But then as I thought about it more, I think that came from jealousy. I was just so mad that he can just do that. I didn't know you could do that. Like we have played so many shows during playoffs, played Nashville, like during when we got beat by Clemson and just having to come off stage and you're so just bummed out about the game, but the show was good. And then you just go through all these emotions. Um, I, we never would ever have canceled a show for that, which is kind of like people will make fun of that because like we canceled because pigeon poop and stuff. But um <laughs> I don't think that we would have canceled for an OU game because we already would have, you know, there's been plenty of times, but we're good about scheduling around OU football games. We try not to play on Saturdays in the fall, even though we do a lot. Uh, you just try to avoid that if you can. And then we rarely play in January, um, which would be when the big games really were. Hypothetically speaking, if OU were to say, let's say play, USC, perhaps, mm -hmm. here in the next couple of years in a national championship game, and you guys happen to have a concert scheduled that night, what, what are you doing? Where is the show? Are we talking like New York City, Madison Square Garden, or are we talking like Akron? Let's Akron's perfect. Yeah, let's, I don't think, I don't think we have many Akron listeners, so let's go with Akron. <laughs> um, uh, oof. Uh, there's so many things. We would just play the damn show. Uh, I bet I mean, it's got to be, like, depending on the venue, like, Akron probably doesn't have, like, a ton of stuff going through. But yeah. other places, like, if you've booked an arena, it's probably hard to reschedule something, you know? Yeah, and, and even with rescheduling, you're talking about tons of costs. Like you, it, even because he's not getting insurance for that show, but he's so rich who, you know, he just doesn't really care. <laughs> but like you have to, he doesn't get paid for that show. Even if he reschedules, he'll get paid, but then he's still got all of his cruise flights to go back. All of the hotel rooms uh, that you've got to pay for, the buses, the semis. I mean, that's a six-figure decision, easy, and that doesn't even count that he's probably taking a private jet to the game, and I doubt he's paying for tickets, but you get the gist of the whole thing. Wow. Well, the precedent is set. Now it's up. It's okay to do in, in case you guys ever want to. No, I mean, he probably also has a lot of grace with his fans that we might not have. We've canceled a lot of shows. So we we're, we we got to build that uh, 
we got to recharge our batteries a little bit before we can cancel a show for a football game. All right, let's talk some OU football. So clearly the 2021 season for the Sooners was an interesting one. It was, it was certainly interesting for Teddy and I kind of covering the team, clearly interesting for the players and coaches, but you know, from your viewpoint, like as a fan, how was the 2021 OU season for you? Um, it was bad. Um, you know, me and you know, the way that I watch games and how high strung and stressed out I am. Um, and there was so much buildup. I feel like anything except for a national championship run year was probably going to be a letdown just because there was so much good, so many positive, so many great players, you know, uh, and, and everything just kind of set up nicely, you, you thought. And then first game came around, Tulane, one by five, I think. Then we maybe had one blowout in there, like 76 to nothing. You thought like we had reset and like, okay, we had one little hiccup, going to get better. And then every game for the rest of the season felt like we won by less than a touchdown. And I'm just dying, like no fingernails, super stressed. Um it's not my favorite. Like a lot of people like that kind of drama. I hate it. I loved that. My favorite game of the season was the 76 to nothing. <laughs> Amazing. When they played like the high school team. <laughs> yeah. Western Carolina, maybe. Yeah. yeah. It was a great game. <laughs> well, so how do you, how do you digest something like the Texas game where, you know, you have a, a, a terrible start. Everything that could have gone wrong did. You fall way behind, but then you start roaring back and have, you know, one of the most thrilling victories. Got not just OU Texas, just overall in a long time. Yeah. It's like somebody who hates roller coasters getting on the most insane roller coaster, scariest roller coaster ever. So you hate it. And I know what I'm in for when we started inching back. And I just thought, like, maybe. And then you finish the roller coaster and you're like, okay, that was awesome, but never again. I did that once. <laughs> I don't ever want to go through that again, but it was incredible. I mean, I don't know. There's no game that we blow somebody out. I don't care how good the team is that I felt happier than I did after the Texas game. You know, like when Texas tech was incredible and came to Norman and we kind of smoked them or Missouri came there a few times and we smoked them. I was not as happy then as I was as I was after the Texas game. Yeah, I Teddy and I clearly we we've talked a lot about that game. It's one of our favorite, if not our favorite college football game we've ever been at. It was it was just ridiculous, but okay, there one thing I know about you is like you you kind of choose your players on the team that you're like those are my guys. Like those are the guys I really like. Those are the guys I'm going to root for. Who, who were those guys for you? Who were those guys that like you really were cheering for hard? And I know, you know, it kind of ties back into how closely you, you, you follow recruiting as well. So who were a couple of the guys this season that you were like, mm, those, those are my guys. I'm, I'm a pretty boring fan as in like, I just kind of like follow along. I'm kind of, I'm just like one of the sheep. So, uh, I mean, I was pulling for Caleb to come in the game I just get frustrated easily. I'm just like one of those fans that uh, people make fun of that just like 
you have one bad game and I get mad at coaches and stuff. <laughs> Just your regular guy. Um, so I loved when Caleb came in and did that during Texas. And, you know, I pulled for him for the rest of the year, but then I found myself going like, should we put Rattler back in? I don't know. It's getting kind of, this is not great, but um, if weirdly felt kind of like very much like a team effort, there was no like real superstar. It felt like the defense would pull us out when we needed to. And like, you'd have different wide receivers step up at different times and, you know, running backs. So there wasn't necessarily like a Baker Mayfield on the team for me last year. Yeah. With all the games kind of ending the way that they did, it was someone different every week kind of stepped up. So like the Caleb Williams thing, you know, how, how did that land with you? The Lincoln Riley situation to USC, then all the speculation about Caleb Williams following him out there. Ultimately, that's what ends up happening. Lincoln, we didn't get OU players. We got players from the transfer portal. How did all that sit with you? Um, I hate, I mean, I, I don't even, it did not sit well. Angry, um, was my reaction. Uh, I, I thought it seemed like everybody took the easy way out, you know, like Lincoln kind of just took the easy way out, which is whatever. And then you had players like Caleb who could stick around and like make an absolute legend out of himself. And I mean, I guess he could do that at USC, but it seemed like the easy thing to just like go with Lincoln and go to USC and do all that. But um, I would have stuck around It just even take my fandom out of OU. That's just kind of like the way that I've always been and how we've kind of been with our career. We're very loyal. Um, And so I don't know. It it just I've tried to move past it. And, you know, my therapist doesn't like to let me talk about it much anymore. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but um no i i did not love that whole situation it all seemed very slimy and just not right but. yeah and then nathan nathan made him angry made yeah. lincoln riley mad and then somehow you got the like you were caught in the crossfire as an innocent bystander what what, what happened there so lincoln followed me on twitter then he followed nathan on twitter I never, I, I, I DM'd him a couple of times or we DM'd, he DM'd me first. I would never DM first and said like, congrats about something. And like, we uh, went back and forth, just like very, like not f- super friendly, just like nice pleasantries were um, exchanged. And then blah, blah, blah. All the stuff happens. He leaves. Nathan says something, calls him like a POS or something. I thought was so ridiculous like why would you do that tweeted it didn't add him but said lincoln riley lincoln obviously gets told by somebody i wake up he's not following nathan he's not following me i guess he searched dr follow will and the other follow will popped up too because i'm young follow will and he was just like yeah unfollow unfollow which i thought was terrible because i wanted him to follow me and i wanted to stay friends with him so i could stab him in the back one <laughs> like i wanted to <laughs> keep that relationship going so I could invite him to a big show or something and have like maybe his wife come and they get all dressed up and get the car service and then have security tell him, Nope, sorry. 
you could have done like the Phil Collins thing, right? He's in the show out there and you guys sing a song about it and put the put the spotlight on him or whatever. Oh my God. Yeah. Anything. But that's all out the window because now he would never trust us. So p- throw some perspective on the whole situation for, uh, I'll say me and maybe Gabe too, because I, I played for Coach Venables. He was my linebacker coach. I absolutely love the guy. I was upset about the USC thing or the Lincoln Riley thing for about a day. And then Venables, I was like, okay, let's see what we can do here. Like, this may be a thing. And then as soon as it started feeling like he was getting the job, I was like, this is the best thing that's ever happened to our program. But I'm massively biased, massively biased. So like like when that whole announcement, everything came, how, how did you feel? It was a roller coaster. I'm sure it was for you guys, but I mean, for the fans and especially the rumor mill and these days on the internet, my God, can rumors just explode and take you all different kinds of ways and you're believing stuff. Um, I loved Venables when he was at OU. I loved him. Then like everybody else, I thought like, man, maybe the defense isn't doing that well. And then when he left and Mike came back, I was almost kind of excited. And then I realized that maybe I'd made a massive mistake like everybody. But I remember when it happened, all of my friends who were much smarter with football than I was, was like, you guys are idiots. Like that was one of the best coaches you guys had. The worst mistake is letting him go. You guys should have never let him go. And I thought, eh, who, like, they don't know. Um, And then it became very obvious that we needed him. And so when his name popped back up, you were like, yes, love it. He's a great coach. He's going to make OU tough again, all these different things. But then they pushed it further and and your ego kind of gets in there. Like, where are you? Why can't we take Davos winning or, you know, like one of these crazy names that was popping up, even if I think that Venables would be a better coach than Davo. And I think that he would be better for OU for sure. Um, but it was a roller coaster. And then you finally just settled into, okay, we got Venables. He's our guy. Excited about the future. I honestly, last year was awful for me. I like, I would text Gabe and other buddies and just, I was in a bad place. I was not that upset that Lincoln left. Like I was already thinking like, can we put him on the hot seat? And everybody's like, no, you definitely cannot. It's been in the playoffs like three years out of the last four or whatever. Um, but getting Venables back, I'm stoked. I think it's awesome. I'm like so excited for this year. Even if we're not amazing, even if we win seven, eight games, I will be so happy because I know we're going to do it the right way. So one thing that has become pretty clear, at least just from my vantage point, is that BV getting hired and, you know, saying all the things he's saying and, and you know, kind of operating the way that he's operating that, it's kind of reinvigorated a lot of the fan base. Like, is that how you feel? Do you feel like you're more, do you feel like you're reinvested? Absolutely. A hundred percent. Last year, I kind of just, over the past two years, everything just kind of like started to wear on you. And you just kind of got not as emotionally invested in it. And, you know, like I, I felt like we would lose a game and I'd be like, eh, I don't really care that much. It used to ruin my week. Now it would like, I'd be bummed out for a few hours. Um, and then when that whole thing happened, it was like, you put on your gear and you're like, come on, like we gotta, this is OU. 
we don't get disrespected like this. Lincoln left and I was just, you know, back. It sucked me in back. Everybody, I'm texting with buddies who I haven't texted with in a long time about OU. We got Venables back and we were all stoked. And now I think, I think that it's better for the program. I think there's going to be more people watching this year than last year. I think people are going to be more excited and way more invested. I think there's also going to be, people are going to be a little bit more realistic and level-headed and they're not just going to be calling for coaches and players when things aren't great. Cause they're going to know what's going on. Um, I'm so excited. No, uh, I, I think everyone is. It's cool. What's it, what's like the college football, what's the world that you live in? Is it all sec all the time there in Nashville? Is, what's, what's kind of what you get? Yeah. Um, yes, very much all sec. They're very, very cocky fan base and mainly because of the sec not because of their teams like a lot of Ole Miss fans talking down to me and Arkansas fans and these people who I mean they do have the sec thing and like they're obviously their conference was you know uh at the very top and winning all the championships but super sec I I feel like us joining was the best thing in the world because now I can kind of talk back to them and now at least Arkansas fans can't say anything to me <laughs> that's that's always good okay uh last last football question i have for you are you are you still all in when it comes to recruiting uh carrie mardock is our good buddy we still got the group text that rolls like are you still all in on on kind of keeping tabs on the ou recruiting scene not as much as i used to be i'll admit definitely not as much um I got a little burnt out. I felt like when Lincoln was the coach, it was just like we were the ultimate bridesmaid team. Like every time there was a five-star, like incredible guys. I mean, there was a, a string where we had like crazy five stars, but it just felt like there were so many letdowns, especially this last year. Um, and then they, the, 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 a few of the really great players that we did have, you know, kind of bolted and we, we filled a lot of those spots, but um I'll get back in. I just kind of fell off. I got a little bit, I got banged up in there in that emotional roller coaster we had. God, banged <laughs> up. Uh, Dad, you ready it. for some dumb music questions? Let's get into some music. Yeah, let's do that. All right. You were just, so the Grammys are on Sunday. We're going to run this Sunday night. So I, I'm assuming you have just won your fifth Grammy, this is, I believe, your 13th, and I'm going to be there in person to watch you win it, so can't can't wait. Can't wait for that, even though it's already happened. We are, we are speaking in the future right now, but first dumb music question. Mm-hmm. How do you find out you are nominated for a Grammy, and what's, what's kind of like the reaction like when you find out? Um. A few, it used to be a bigger deal. Like I remember uh, back in like 11, 12, 13, those years, it would be like a prime time thing. And they would announce all the nominees. And this year they did it over the internet and I forgot about it. Um, <laughs> so I was at a hotel in Houston with Martha and our nanny and stuff. And I was sitting there and I got a text like, congrats, dude, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, wait, what? Um and I scrolled up and saw, and I was like, oh, my God, we got nominated. And I just told Martha and the nanny, and I was, I felt pretty awesome that day. I was like, 
kind of excited because we didn't get nominated for anything on our last album. So it's been like five, seven years. I don't know since we had our last nomination. So it felt cool. It kind of felt like we we're, you know, sort of back a little bit. You know, it's a little validation for a lot of work that we did. So it's you guys um have you guys ever played the Grammys or any of those award shows like that? I feel like that's got to be such a, a, for lack of a better phrase, a pain in the ass to play one of those things because it's not your normal setup. There's probably a whole bunch of different type of planning involved. No, it is. A, it is very tough. And so we've always declined. Um, it's every time that they've asked us to do it. It's like us and another artist, a collaboration kind of thing. And we're so bad at that. Like we're, we know how to play our songs and that's basically it. And so, and we're also just kind of lazy. And, and like you said, so like when they ask us to do that and it's like us and I, I don't, I don't think it was Rihanna, but just say like awesome Rihanna or something. We're just like, ah, that sounds like a lot of work. Um, it's like so, so forced. Yeah. yeah we just go. Yeah, we'd rather be able to drink and, <laughs> not have to be really nervous about it but we've done like the vmas um and a few things like that where it's like similar but on a smaller scale um but that was just ourselves playing um but yeah we've never done it and it, it honestly it's in the back of my mind that maybe they dislike us for that and that's why we've only had two categories ever televised they always do pre-televised for us in our categories. Interesting. Ted loves a conspiracy. I so did. now, I now you're going to have him diving into that. So I, I could be making this up, but did, did you guys get asked to play the Super Bowl one time? No, there's been talks about it and we've shut them down on our management side. They, and this is back like when we were like, obviously it would have made a lot more sense. Like 2000, 10, 11, 12, when like you, somebody in Sex on Fire were like everywhere. And, um, but we would be so bad. And so, like, everybody critiques the Super Bowl halftime like no other musical event on earth. It always gets, uh, it, you can believe it, shat upon by almost everybody, except for, you know, a few years are incredible. This year was awesome. Um, I actually really liked the weekend last year. But so many times, it's just everybody's just like, oh, God, did you see that? It was so bad. In the stadium, you can't even hear it. It's awful. Um, I've been to Super Bowl, and you went to the one with Maroon 5, and you could not hear a thing. So, I mean, everybody was just kind of chilling, and I'm sure that show was great. I didn't get to see it because I didn't have it on TV. Um, but it is the most stressful situation in the world. We are not – a very entertaining band. We're kind of, our live show is kind of known for the music aspect. So like you can kind of like vibe out to the music and listen to the parts and things like that. We are not running around the stage. Caleb does not talk ever. So, I mean, it would just be a nightmare. <laughs> we would have everybody. I mean, we would be pulling out every single favor we could of any artist in the world to come help us out. We'd so funny. play all covers. <laughs> so that makes me think, cause you know, you're talking about, you know, playing the Super Bowl halftime and you're there for a hundred thousand people. And 
it's like a made for television type of deal. So like probably you, you probably can't hear yourself very good. It's probably hard to play. And I was just thinking, like, have you ever had like a major malfunction while you're playing? And what do you do when something like that happens? It happens a lot. And it happens a lot more to bands like us who like, who kind of rely more on actually playing, you know, um, not, a lot of computer tracks or anything like that. Um, so we're like, it, our, we're playing with our guitar plugged into our amp. And there's, you know, if any of those things mess up, you're kind of just stuck. It's, it's been, you feel naked and humiliated. I can't imagine. It's probably like if your helmet fell off at the very beginning of a play <laughs> and you just have to like finish the you rest of the finish, game or <laughs> yeah, that you have to finish the song and you're just, you 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 only have to finish one song because they'll stop after that song and like Caleb will be like sorry, um, and that's probably all he says is just sorry, <laughs> nothing <laughs> else like no. Uh, and then like your crew comes up and they'll be fidgeting and doing things, but for that song you just have to just chill um, and just be like I'm sorry I don't know what to do. Um, it never really happened so bad that everybody stopped, um, but it's awful. It's a really scary <laughs> naked feeling. It just happened the last show we played. We have a song called Closer that I use a foot pedal on. And halfway through, it just malfunctioned and started making a funky noise. And I just had to stop. And they just finished the song without me. But I didn't know what to do. And I was really awkward. So I just kept doing the foot pedal thing, even though it wasn't working. <laughs> just hoping that maybe Brent like, had his mouth out there doing it. for That's our sound guy. Going, boop, boop, boop. Like, anybody, is anybody covering for me here? Cause I'm dying fish. Out oh, of see, like I have no knowledge of any of that stuff. So that's, that's awesome. Okay. I, I do want to ask you about the bandit because that that's what you're nominated for the Grammy for, for best rock song. How, like when you write a song like that, do, do you know that it's really good? Like, is there a story behind that song? Like did, right after you guys, put it together where you like that's that's going to be big like how does that all work yeah um with a lot of our bigger songs they seem to come at the end of the album for some reason um and so we had gotten together like 10 songs and recorded them and then at the end we just try to throw something together just to see if anything can kind of stick and just like take some raw like quick energy um and so we had kicked that around as a kind of a guitar idea to start. And then musically we got something together and it was exciting. Um, but we had like a week left in the studio. And one of those days, Caleb and I had to miss because we were flying to London to go to a 50th birthday of like an extremely powerful, incredible person on earth. Um, <laughs> uh, that's not say, sketchy it's just an uh, extremely powerful it, awesome person yeah it was crazy so like uh he sent us his plane to fly us to this party in london and so me like and he offered it to everybody and me and caleb were like we got to do that like we can't miss it it was like medieval and we had to have like a couple of formal medieval outfits and one casual medieval. <laughs> so, I mean, it's this wild. Where do you go to shop for a casual medieval outfit? I went to like a, like an actors, like the, like uh, that do like movies and stuff like that. 
and I found some pretty like impressive stuff. It's awesome. Um, so long story short, short story long, we, we fly there. We had a crazy, crazy time, very hungover. Me and Caleb get back on the flight home and he's like, uh, we, we can't just go back in empty-handed. He's like, we let's start writing on a couple of these songs. We had two left. We had two musical songs, and it was a song called "Time in Disguise" and a song called "The Bandit." And so we opened a bottle of red wine, and then started playing around with it, and then a couple more, and then I think we had like eight or nine bottles of red wine on that flight, and landed, and had finished both those songs. Basically, he he Caleb went back in and touched up things for sure but we had basically written both of those songs and it stuck with it and i'm still not sure if we have to give that guy publishing for writing it on his plane and drinking his wine but a little medieval influence uh on the song that's awesome <laughs> yeah. is it is every song kind of come together different or do you guys have a, a pretty standard process that that you follow as far as like how you structure it and everything we have kind of fallen into a groove of starting with music, getting together a musical idea, then vocal melodies, um, and then writing the lyrics. So the vocal melodies will just be kind of like little words here and there, just like kind of phrases. But it, a lot of times it can literally just be like mumbling or, or, or uh, gibberish, just like ooh la la's and stuff like that, just getting the vocal melody down. And then lyrics come last. Um, and forever it was just Caleb writing those. And then lately the last couple albums and especially this last album, he kind of let us in a little bit and like letting me write with him. And so, yeah, it's it, it was a cool experience getting to actually get in on the lyrics this time. And it's up for best rock song. So Caleb, hello. <laughs> so I, I'm just saying. Solo project <laughs> coming. Is and and I know that, I mean, you know, a lot of mus musicians and a lot of groups, like, is that how it normally goes? You write the music and then the lyrics last, or is it, cause I would, and once again, I know nothing about music, but I would think like, Hey, you write the lyrics and then like you write the music around the lyrics, but. Yeah. It's probably the lowest percentage way to write a song. Um, most like Elton John has a lyricist who will give him the lyrics. I never watched the movie. So you guys could be like, yeah, we saw the movie. Um, but like his guy gives him lyrics and then he'll just write uh, a melody to it. So it's like he's reading a script and then makes a melody around the lyrics, which to me sounds impossible just with phrasing and things like that. Um, and the cadence of how you, I don't know how he pulls it off, but um, I would say most people do sit down with probably just a guitar and like they have something they want to say and then they like write that. And a lot of people probably do lyrics first. It's a, we're a weird band. Do you probably have a cell phone totally full of like bass lines or whatever it is, like just quick little, do you guys send those back and forth to each other all the time? No, um, I don't send them because I'm humiliated by them. <laughs> a lot of times it'll be like me mouthing a bass line. Like boom, yeah. it's like ridiculous um, or even singing. And I have a terrible singing voice um and guitar stuff so i don't have the confidence to send them but i do you know i i record i've got a billion voice memos you're right on that and i'll like just so i can remember 
Um, and then I'll bring those into the guys and actually play them for them. But um, yeah, my voice memos are a, a mess. I, I have another Grammys question. How much thought goes into what you're going to wear at the show? Um, more thought than actual action. Um, cause like I, I thought about this forever and like had a vision of what I was going to do. And then I just, as time gets closer, I just don't do any of that stuff. So I, I have a suit. I went and got it tailored. Um, I don't know what I'm wearing under it. I don't have shoes and I, I'm going to go to Vegas and just go shopping and, and put some stuff together. Um, Cause I have a pair of shoes that I was going to wear a brown pair of like dress shoes and the, the bottom of them started doing that on the front. So those are broken. Had them so, for a while. Apparently yeah. <laughs> I wore to like 23 weddings in a row. Um, and I dance a lot of those things. So, uh, so yeah, I, I've thought about it a lot and I just am not going to use any of the thoughts or any of the ideas that I came up with, but, um, it'll be fine. I kind of don't care at this point, you know, like we're not, as long as you don't. And I think we've talked about this. Maybe you said, as long as you don't look stupid, nobody cares, you know, like nobody, I'm not going to go there and like blow anybody's mind. You know, we're, I'm like a 35 year old guy. Now they, they care about like the kids from euphoria going like, now that's a cool look. Like, there's nothing I could do except for bad. The only way I'm getting noticed is don't stick out. Right. Yeah, exactly. Just try so, and blend in as much as possible. Yeah, probably put a like a sweater under the suit and some. I'll probably wear shoes. <laughs> Thinking about maybe not. Uh, are any has anything? Well, because we're coming right off of the uh, the Oscars where we had a situation. I ha, have you ever seen something go down that like maybe doesn't make it to television or in the back or at a after party or whatever um i'm sure we've seen tons of stuff but like the only that was the biggest thing that i remember since the vmas in 2009 when kanye got up with taylor swift and we were there and we were sitting right behind kanye and taylor was our bud from nashville and we all hung out and we went backstage with her afterwards and so like we were very much involved in that um like people from our crew were like yelling like saying like get off the stage and like getting very upset with that whole thing i in hindsight it was damn innocent i didn't know that you could like there could be physical violence on stage so like looking back at the time it was like that was the biggest thing in the world you're like oh my god how does that happen and now you look back at it and you're like he just grabbed the mic you know, like if Will Smith had just grabbed the mic, nobody would have cared or if he just like heckled from the crowd. So, um, but and he's no, also I, Kanye's had a decade of stuff afterwards to where it's all like, it just kind of all fits right in now, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. That, that, yeah it's just Kanye. Who cares? Okay. This is, this is kind of the last music question I have for you. And it's, it's very broad and I, I know it is, but these last two years have been pretty weird for everyone, but I assume when a big part of what you do for a living is going 
and playing shows for giant crowds that it has been especially weird for musicians, including yourself. Just what, what has that been like over these last couple of years? It's been weird and frustrating and like, I mean, obviously weird, it's weird for everybody, but it was just like frustrating and nerve wracking. And you, you know, you didn't know what to do. You know, if you don't play shows, are people going to think that you're doing the wrong thing? And like, if you do, are you doing the wrong thing? Are you being unsafe? You know, it's like, are you being unfair to your fans by not playing? Or are you being unfair to your fans by playing? You know, um, and so like all these different things. And then you, it was just scheduling things and you had no idea. So you block out months of your life and then they get canceled and then you're like well you know there there goes that uh and, and too late to make really other plans so there's a lot of sitting around and you guys i think last time i was on here i talked about like i'd moved to this weird golf community and so that's where i live now and so i just like played golf and you know sat around and you didn't we didn't take advantage of it at all because we thought it was going to last a month and then two months and then maybe this to last six months and then a year and then it was like this might never end you know so I think if everybody had known going in okay you're basically going to have a year and a half of just like off um we could have like done something really cool with it but we didn't we we played golf (laughs) there's hey that's there's something really cool about that (laughs) get caught up on your golf game a little bit you know but so how long were you guys actually how long was it between like performing and was there some of that like I'm I'm sure there's always a little bit of the butterflies type of type of stuff whenever you're going out in front of a bunch of people but whenever you finally did go back out was it like kind of feel like the first time again had been so long yeah we um so, so we played Oklahoma City, Scissor Tail Park, at the end-ish of 2019. I think it was the end of September because wedding anniversary. Um, so we played that, and then we didn't play another show until like August of 2021. And Matthew, our guitar player, was having a baby, so he wasn't on there. So it was kind of a different setup, a different stage thing. The between the shows, so Oklahoma City was a full band concert, last one we did. And then in March, we just played a concert in Bahrain, which is in the, it's Saudi Arabia, basically. Um, And that was a full band show. So between March of 2022 and September of 2019, we played zero, like full band, full set of Kings of Leon shows. It's a long, long time. Yeah. Yeah. That it it was a weird, weird time. Yeah. And we didn't get that much worse. <laughs> um, I love you. Love I you. I hope we get to celebrate a Grammy victory for you and the boys in Vegas. Fingers are crossed. Um, I'll just go ahead and say now this is coming out on Sunday night. It was an honor to be nominated. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're the best, man. Thanks for the time and yeah, five-time Grammy Award winner. Wait, five-time. Yeah, let's speak it into existence. Come on. What's, the let's worst that happens is you don't win, and then I look stupid. I, I mean, what's new? Yeah, that's okay. I, it, I, I believe 
but it's not going to happen. <laughs> You're the hey. man. Thanks. Thanks, guys. That was awesome. Well, I hope they won. No, no. Going to be awesome. Either way, it's awesome. You're actually there right now. That's kind of cool. I'm in the future, but in the past. <laughs> uh, that was great. Always fun catching up with our buddy, Jared. All right. On that note, episode 202 in the books. We'll have a new podcast that'll drop Thursday morning. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 3 to 6 on 94.7 The Ref. You can hear me from 3 to 5 on Sirius XM Big 12 Radio, channel 375. Hope you all have a great week. And until next time, we appreciate y'all for listening. Do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other.